Welcome back to my channels, everybody. Thanks so much for joining today's podcast. I have two incredible entrepreneurs that are going to share their story with us today, give us some insights, I hope. I am, of course, broadcasting from home today. So in the background right now, like all professional podcasters, my little dog is chewing her chew. So that's what that noise is in the background, just so you know. It's not like I've had too much baked beans today. Probably a pretty English joke for my American audience. But um, I, uh, I, 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 just before I bring on my first guest uh, and we talk about her incredible story, I just want to share a few things with you. You guys know why we're here. We're here to help a million people start a business of their own and make sure that no entrepreneur out there feels alone doing it. I'll just quickly uh, highlight for those that are maybe listening today for the first time, we offer um, all sorts of support services to entrepreneurs for free. We will never upsell you anything. We're not after revenue from you. I personally am on a mission to give back and buy my dog squeaky toys from time to time. Bella, stop that. Um, and, uh, but that's it, I don't need a lot. I always say I don't need to own a boat, I just need to know a friend who owns a boat. So our mission here is, is not to charge you for help, it's to give back and support. I have been a lucky entrepreneur and I just wanna give you some of that luck. So one of the things that we do is we do one-on-one -on -one mentor sessions. We give 15 minutes to people that want answers to questions that we can't answer for our existing content. We have hundreds of videos of things we've created to try and answer questions that you guys might have about your existing business or a new business, things like how to raise money, how to build a brand and so on. We have created content for all of those answers, but sometimes your questions are very personal or very detailed, so we do have one-on-one -on -one sessions. You can go and register on the purposefulproject.com to get access to me and other incredible entrepreneurs that are giving up their time and get some help one-on-one. -on -one. In addition, uh, as I've already mentioned, all of our social media uh, content is out there. If you want access to free videos teaching you business, you can go to my website, simonscript.com. Um, I do make money on YouTube and TikTok and so on when you do visit these videos, but I give that money away every week to people wanting to start businesses. So um, there is always an accidental income and I'm trying my very best to be transparent about that and give back to the uh, community that's supporting the entrepreneurs I'm trying to support. Uh, we, uh, as you know, have a podcast show. This is our live version. And we also, every week, uh, interview the world's most successful entrepreneurs. They share their stories. So we had last week the founder of Love Films, William Reeve, who went on to do uh, Zoopla and Grays. And he uh, sold his company for 200 million to Amazon. And he came on to tell us his story. Uh, that was last week's. Um, this week, we had Stefan Galab. He is the VC for the Dragons on Dragon's Den. And uh, he's also worked for a few of the sharks. He helps them put the deals together that he agrees in the den. And he uh, shares, us, shares with us his amazing personal story, just incredible, put himself through university through sheer hard work and how he did it uh, and how he managed to become kind of the VC for the, for the super entrepreneurs. So and definitely a podcast you don't want to miss. This week, tomorrow at 12 noon, I have Nick Jenkins coming on. He is the founder of Moonpig. He sold that company for a lot of money as well, but a down-to-earth, incredible person. He tells his story about being a sole co-founder -found, and the benefits of that, um, something I personally had not heard before. I always think co-founders is better than sole founders, but you know, he, shed, he sheds light on that, that universe, gives his view on the world. He's a fascinating individual. If you don't know him, you can't be living in the UK, and you should definitely find out about him and, and learn from him. So that's tomorrow at 12.30, join myself, and Nick, come and ask questions if you want in real time, and we'll do our best to give you some knowledge. I um, I just want to also say, uh, if you find this content useful in any way, um, if you hit the like button right now, that lets the algorithm know that it's useful and make sure that this three hopefully useful content gets out to those that might find it useful. In addition, if you do do the share button, share this broadcast on your social media right now. The entrepreneur that's coming on at 3.30 needs our help. The more people here to help that entrepreneur, the more chance of them being successful. I call it leveraging luck. And if you could help him be lucky and get this broadcast out by sharing it now, in 25 minutes, when he comes on, perhaps we'll have hundreds, of, if not thousands of people online helping. Right now on, on places like TikTok, we've just gone live to our uh, big communities, but it takes time for people to realize we're on. And if you're kindly sharing, it will mean more people come and help. So, just to finally wrap up before I bring on my first guest, uh, we have some free webinars coming up. 
We have how to scale and start a business. I brought on some incredible people. Alan Sugar's PR director, for example, is coming on to talk about PR. We have some fantastic insights on how to structure fundraise. So do join us uh, for that. It's free again, the webinar all the way through. At the end, we'll sell you nothing. It's just about helping people right now. So you can get all of that information via my website, simonscript.com. And finally, uh, we will be doing a whole thing on how to hack TikTok. Personally, I've managed to build up 230,000 followers on TikTok in a very short period of time. You cannot buy followers on TikTok. It's not the way that system's built, which is excellent, which means your followers are loyal, means it's not easy to build, but once you've built it, it's powerful. So we're gonna share myself and Mark Tilbury. Mark Tilbury has over 5 million followers on TikTok. He is the number one business person on TikTok. I am the second most popular person in the UK under 50 on TikTok. So, you know, that's that's a lot of, lot of brackets around where I am in the food chain, but Mark is the number one and he will be joining us, giving up his time, sharing his secrets. How did he get 5 million followers on TikTok? And how does he keep up with all the content you have to produce to keep 5 million people happy? So please do feel free to sign up again through my website. So I think um, that's enough from me as far as setup's concerned. I want to bring on our first guest, Tisha Williams, co-founder of Terrible Merch. And she's the winner of Pitch UK. It's the largest UK pitch competition. Um, and she is the winner. And I'd like to welcome her to the stage. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Yes. So I feel very lucky to have you here. Really excited to hear your story. And uh, yeah, tell, tell us what you're all about. What happened? What, what are you working on? Um, I, well, Terrible Merch is a uh, basically a product management company that helps um, artists in music in particular right now. Mostly we do some other podcasters and um, Twitch stars and that kind of thing as well. But um, we help artists make money in the last remaining physical revenue stream in music without a digital competitor. And we built some technology to help them do that. And our main priority is basically giving musicians money where they can't make it in streaming um, anymore. So that, that's the mission and we're pretty good at it. Um, and um, yeah, we started it, we're coming up to our five year anniversary next week. So we've been at it for a while, which I think is a good thing. Surviving this long is um, no small feat. Um, and yeah, we we had a fashion brand before this. And my co-founder was signed to a major label. And so they kind of came together in that moment. Um, and that's where we started it from. So, so you're working on a previous business together before you started this business. Is that how this business came about? Yeah, um, we were working, we had a small fashion brand that had quite a bit of success actually. It was before Instagram kind of became sponsored by brands. Um, we got a little famous on there and we sold into the high street um, and it did fine, like um, it did all right. Um, we started doing collaborations with much bigger streetwear licenses, kind of reviving them, things like Kangol, that kind of thing. And then Jack, my co-founder, signed to a major label in a um, for a record deal and needed merchandise and couldn't find a good way to make it make money um, like we did in fashion. So we started, yeah, we started making merchandise for him. And within a month, there were loads more artists, and we had to start getting picky about who we worked with. That's that's a fascinating story, and, and five years is is a feat. I mean, I think. Um, the first year is exciting. Yeah, second year reality kicks in. Third year, you know, fatigue, right? So, um, how, how you know, what, how have you kept going? What's what's been the kind of driving force? Do you think? I think having a really um, sincere, genuine mission has been the biggest uh, driving force behind it. There isn't a moment where someone isn't relying us to do our jobs um, and do great work uh, because you know that's it's the one place artists can make money. So that's what's kept us going through. It's having a real sincere mission. And I think also we were very smart in at the first part when we started this, we decided we only wanted to work with artists we loved and believed in. And I think the motivation doesn't die when the people, when you really believe in the projects you're working in. I don't think there are any, the low moments are more moments of like feeling you have to fight through something rather than, um, rather than you can't do it anymore or you're tired. Do you um, do you feel like like five years on, and you look back, do, do you do you sense the progress, or do you have that sense? Oh, I wish it was bigger. Or how how do you feel about it? I'm not done yet. Is the thing I constantly feel about it. Um, 
people are forever being like, oh my God, it's amazing. It's such a great business. Um, and I, and I'm always, I always feel like just instead of saying thank you, telling them to just wait, cause we're, we're not there yet. Um, but it is, we've come a long way. I think, you know, when we do our cash flows and all the businessy things and we see how much has actually happened in terms of money and, um, and people kind of serviced and uh, products made and delivered and fans that have bought things, it really, you know, you really feel the difference there. But in all the in-between times, it doesn't, you don't notice it, you know? So it grows little by little. And at the end of the year, you're saying like, oh my God, we, we've like doubled our revenue this year from last year. And um, those are always really great surprises, but you don't feel it in the moment. Um, I think every entrepreneur has that. You just, you, you're just going. Well, definitely when you're dealing with the day-to-day -day problems, sometimes it feels like you know, some of the same problems pop up and you're like, how come we're still dealing with this same problem, whatever it may be. I'm sure you have manufacturing issues, for example, right? I mean, they, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I mean, we we have a really well vetted, like we have a well vetted supply chain. We only work with suppliers we trust. It's taken us a long time to find them. We kind of have worked with them for many years. We worked with them in fashion before that, um, and in other things. We're really, really fussy about product management and making really high quality products. So that's not as bad as it could be in other manufacturing things. Um, I think you know we probably cut our teeth doing that in fashion mm. well what keeps you up at night these days i mean apart from covid you know <laughs> I might say that word in a broadcast these days if i can help it but you know what, what what worries you as a business person um my biggest worries as a business person i mean during covid it's like making sure we can still grow and employ people and keep them keep the revenue flowing strong for that we were a live music business before covid um and when COVID hit, we had to move everything online. So it was like a huge change in our business model. We weren't sure if we we're gonna make it. So that's like a worry now. The other things that keep me up at night are um, fundraising, uh, which is one of the hardest thing I think any entrepreneur has to do. Um, and then of course, other little things um, like, you know, making sure things arrive on time and logistics and customs forms lately. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a whole new area. I just invested in a business called Peas and Pod. They basically do uh, home education in a box, and uh, they've got all, all you know, loads of customers in in EU. And suddenly, they're having to you know hire one extra person just to do all the customs forms that's involved. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, you know the reality of Brexit again. Another word I didn't want to mention if I could help it. We just can't seem to avoid these things. It was interesting what you said earlier about um, saying no. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested in, in, uh, in, in that concept. I think, you know, when do you say no to someone? What's your criteria for bringing someone on board? And I'm gonna let you answer that question properly and put you on mute so I can go get my dog's toy and you can stop chewing it through my broadcast. <laughs> totally personal, you know, this is why we're not sponsored by anybody, I think. <laughs> you answer the question, I'm listening. I'm gonna go stop my dog. Okay, um, what was the question, Simon? Well, yeah. Why do you say no? You know, when do you say no? How uh, do you learn to say no? Because I think, you know, I built a service company, for example, and I, in the first year I said yes to everything. Because that's what you hear, is it? Just say yes to everything. Don't ever, don't ever say no to an opportunity. And then you slowly realize that you're literally, you know, run, running yourself ragged and not doing any particular thing, a, a good service. You have to learn to say no, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, we, so we said no because we couldn't take on all the work that we were getting. That was, that was the first, that was the first thing that happened. And the only way to deliver quality work was by saying no. So we had to start doing that. It was more a necessity. Um, we don't want to say no forever, um, but we're building technology to help us not say no so we can help everyone else say no. Um, but what, we're not, you know, it's not, it wasn't. No. Sorry to interrupt you. What is the criteria for saying no, though? I mean, how, how do you decide what is a yes and what is a no? we've got to love the project and love the team and love the artist if it's music or love what they're doing. Cause I just, you know, um, we've got a platform and an app that does a lot of work for us, but it's a lot of work building a brand and a business for an artist, for a band, for anything and becoming part of their team. If you don't love it, you really feel it. Like you, it feels like work. Um, and you know, when you're into it, it doesn't feel like work, you know, suddenly it's 10 at night and you haven't noticed the time go by. Uh, you don't mind staying up for those calls on the West Coast and, um, you know, being, you know, being ready with spreadsheets and reports and things when, when the time, when they're needed. Um, it takes away the element of it being 
it feeling like work. I mean, it is work, definitely, but it, it just makes you happier when it's something you care about. Mm. That's another interesting subject, isn't it? Because people are like, enjoy what you do. And I mean, I can honestly say, um, overall, I enjoy what I do, but there's times when you just wish you weren't doing it, you know? <laughs> there's always going to be those moments, right? Well, this is the thing about liking the people you're working for, even when you have to do the bad jobs, like the really hard ones, the, you know, the ones that like suck the life out of your soul, um, which every business has. Uh, when it's when the aim is for something bigger than you and something you know that you're part of that gets you through that I think um, because there's no escaping the tough stuff <laughs> it's there like it's always there yeah, good advice I mean I I am um, I owned a creative agency called fluid which I I, um, I got I got lucky and sold it to PwC but the way I used to say no to clients that I had that negative energy from is I didn't want to insult them but I used to charge them three times more than they wanted to pay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, that was always an interesting thing because you know they would always pay double what they wanted to pay, but they wouldn't pay three times. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's a good. It's a good strategy, um, and also even if they do say yes, then at least you've got the love well, and money you, to get you through. You can go and hire someone that might like them. You know, there's, there's yeah. someone that likes someone. So. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's interesting as well. I mean, you um, were your parents entrepreneurial? How did you get into this entrepreneurial space? Oh, I talk about actually my co-founder and I talk about this quite often. Um, we get we got into this space because um, there is there was no way for us to be. We didn't come from families that were even remotely well off. Um, so you know the the only way for us to kind of elevate our lives and and do the things we wanted and get things we wanted out of life was was to start a business. There there weren't really many options. I mean, I got a degree. Um, but you know, I had a really hard time after after college, like actually finding a job that, well, number one, I liked for long enough, um, and that paid me enough, or one that I could progress in, and it just felt like I was stuck. And I think I think Jack, my co-founder, probably feels the same way. Um, you know, yeah, until he signed a major label deal, but um, there's you know there's there's only so much you can get from other people and you have to put it in your own hands. So no one was really entrepreneurial. It was more a moment of like, if we don't do this, you know, nothing will ever change for us. And I think that has been the motivation for us is, is that, you know, we know we're smart enough to, to, to get this done and we know we can do much more ourselves without anyone else in our way. So I we, think a lot of people relate to that story today. I mean, a lot of people coming out of university, a lot of our listeners, um, and you know they 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 have this problem of you know not being able to get a job right now, and so um, yeah. I mean, but I think people are also, frankly, uh, terrified to start a business of their own because it does feel like a very daunting exercise. Do you think having a co-founder helped you push past that, or did you never feel that? How, um, how did... it, yeah, Jack. Jack and I. Jack is when Jack is weak and tired. I'm strong. When I'm weak and tired, he's strong. And I think that really like it gets us through those things. And you always have a little more confidence in numbers, you know. Um, so there was, you know, there's that. But it was. I think it is truly like we just shared the vision, um, and the vision was so strong. It's like I, we tried to do other things. Um, <laughs> we don't. We don't like Jack was in a in a different. You know, he was signed to a major label, but this this thing was the most captivating. Um, so that you know, the, being captivated and interested by something, the curiosity um, gets you past the fear. I think mm -hmm. in most cases, or I say it does. It got us past it. That sounds like a good Instagram post. You know, <laughs> you know, the uh, yeah, but it's true. It's it's very true. And so, what about when you told you know your parents? You, what was your degree in? Oh, fine art and history of art, and and then I worked in private equity and financial services, um, oh. and then fashion. So I, I mean, the, what I do now all makes sense in hindsight, but I did jump around a bit. But um, quite I, extreme I, there, big big extreme examples of uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, they all involved problem solving. I think, and I think that's my main skill as an entrepreneur. Um, but it was. Yeah, the degree doesn't. The degree taught me how to finish things. That's what I learned from university: how to finish things I start, and that was a really valuable lesson for me um, because I'd probably been a bit lazy before that in my life. Um, and then the other jobs taught me how to solve different problems, and private equity taught me how to make businesses successful. Um, and that I think 
ha has helped us model our own business, not just in our business being successful, but because we look after the business of so many other artists that are underneath us, that we're able to structure it in a way that will make them profitable, which is the secret of private equity. Mm -hmm. um, except we give them the money, we don't keep it. <laughs> but um, there is a, yeah, so, and then fashion, of course, is about supply chain and delivery and, and margins. So it all came together in the end to, into what we're doing now, but it, it was pretty, it didn't make sense while I was going through it. I didn't know this was where it would end. And did you have to raise money to, to, to start your business? How did you, how did you get it off the ground? Oh, this is really cool. Um, we got a startup loan. Um, we got a really small baby startup loan from uh, from the government. It was EU backed at the time. They still have them um, in different forms. And that gave us the working capital to start our business. So we pretty much, um, we were pretty bootstrapped. But that gave us a little capital to get us started. And the rest, the rest we, we made it work. So we made profit. Mm. You've got some fans on here right now just saying, uh, you know, you're awesome. Uh, <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, so, so what, the Pitch UK event. Tell us, tell us about this. Tell us, tell, tell the audience that don't know uh, about it, um, what what it means and, and and how it worked and and how you managed to be the best pitch. I think I think from the numbers I saw, like eight hundred people are pitched try to win to try to win this competition. So it's quite a big deal. Oh, I didn't know it was that many. Um, I didn't I didn't know it was that good and that big. Um, but yeah, that is a big deal. Um, so I mean, the pitch is basically pitching is a as an art that you as an entrepreneur, if you need to scale your business, you're going to need a lot of money, and it's not money you can only take out of your out of your business. So fundraising's the next step to do that with, and pitching is an art um, that I was reluctant to get involved with. Didn't like the form, the format, any of it, um, but realized very quickly that I had to figure it out and nail it to get money and to raise money and to tell people who don't give me more than 15 minutes about how great our business is and what it does very clearly so they understand even if they have no idea what we do. So all that's a bit of an art. Um, and I had, I had seen the pitch online and I decided, you know, after a year of going around pitching and kind of refining things that I would, I would give it a try. Um, I didn't expect to go as far as I did. There were so many great businesses and pitches in there that were just I, like I was totally like captivated by all of them especially the ones in the final um, but the art is communicating something really simply um, to a really big audience and uh, doing it you know doing it very quickly as well um, and that is something that going through that whole process teaches you um, so it's a great it's a really great Thing to to learn and to master to do like you have to present the whole thing in two minutes at the end mm. so yeah I, I, I think pitching is a, a really underrated way of getting uh, feedback on your business because the good thing about pitching is you're almost saying you know be hard critic wise come back and tell me you know what I'm doing wrong what what, what, what doesn't sound right it's a great validation model isn't it I think that, that yeah. underrated and also, you just need to know how to talk about your business in really simple terms so that people get it. I think it's it's really easy to um, get caught up in the complexity of everything you do every day and the huge, huge problem you're solving and forget that like actually ordinary people engage with your solution um, all the time. And you know it's actually quite simple what you're doing. It's, it doesn't need to be explained in a complicated way. So learning to pitch properly, learning to pitch in a limited time really helps you uh, you know, communicate proper, like better, and therefore you can communicate to more investors, more people, more angels, more clients, all of it. Um, and it's really helpful, I think, when you're about to or need to scale your business. I think a lot of entrepreneurs will probably be raising funding before they've had a business. Um, so we're a bit different that way. Um, but for someone that has a business, uh, for which is where we came from, it's really, it's a, it's a totally different story to kind of make things simple when you've been doing it for four years or five years like well, you know how do you get it down to its very essence um and and communicate that with an audience i think it's a good point isn't it and i guess also it's the never end i think the pitching as well has to change depending on who you're talking to yep. right of course there's the pitch to investors uh which you explain the model intricately and then of course there's pitch to the customers who want to just understand what you're offering and make sure it's simple right and then there's the pitch internally the culture pitch, right? So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, subject. 
But if you, um, oh, go ahead, go ahead. It's definitely an art, like it's an art in every single one of those. Um, and, you know, it's something that I think every, anyone who's like at the top of a company or wants to be a leader in a company or their own business, you know, needs to practice and learn. Um, it's not a fun process to do, but when you get there, it gets fun. Totally, yeah. And, and a lot of people ask us about, um, you know, co-founder relationships. And, and I mean, it is, it is like a marriage, uh, I think. But I mean, how, how do you uh, manage it? How do you set, so you don't get on each other's nerves and, and make it work? Is there, a, is there a formula that's worked for you? Um, we get on each other's nerves. That's, that's what we're allowed to do um, as co-founders. Um, it is the most intense relationship I've had in my life. Um, and, but it is the most rewarding one. Um, Jack and I can take something down to the smallest little part and pick it apart together and disagree and still come back from that and improve what we're doing. Mm. And that is, I, yeah, that's something that's really, it's, it's hard, but it's so important to be able to express yourself with any, without any, um, or, you know, express your ideas or get the bottom of new ideas without any consequences. Um, mm. So, it, you know, we have a, we have a really, we have a really, amazing relationship in that sense but like everything we're always stressed a bit tired haven't slept enough hadn't haven't eaten enough so you know we always we have to take care with each other um and bring in croissants when we see each other or you know make sure we remember birthdays and we're both drinking enough water um like normal things you do it's it's we're like family at this stage we've we've been we've been doing this for a very long time it's it's interesting isn't it? i i um you know I applaud you for, for, for explaining that well, because I think for a lot of people, they expect, you know, you have a partnership and it should always be perfect. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've been married nearly 20 years and we've been to marriage counseling. And I remember when we went to marriage counseling, I said, I said, we're arguing all the time. And he said, wow, what a healthy relationship. <laughs> you know, it's ones that don't argue, don't, don't discuss, don't, aren't honest with each other that are the real problem ones. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Suddenly, leave you and you wonder why um, and and so you know when you're actually arguing it means you're actually communicating i guess it's just being constructive about the arguing right there's definitely an art to arguing as well um and perhaps there's a lot that can be taken from pitching into arguments and vice versa well we don't want to mix up issues for example <laughs> sometimes well you were wrong last time so i'm you know that it's got nothing to do with this time has it you know so, so. yeah i mean yeah i it's you know these there you can't keep the scorecard that's for sure like you do have to forgive and move on if anything gets beyond you know if you disagree on things and whatever decision you make like whatever decision gets made in that moment you even if you disagreed with it to begin with you both have to get behind it and push it all the way i hope so, for this no more scorecard okay drop it. <laughs> they're not good for you they don't they don't they don't help you it's the results that count right um and that's that's really that's really the secret is that even if you don't agree and you go with it, um, you get behind it and the results will prove who is really right. <laughs> now, I know the founder of Pitch UK, Chris, is listening. So uh, I asked this question. I feel like I'm loading the answer. But but what happens when you win a competition like that? You know, it, what, what, is, what are the repercussions in, in your view when you experience? My network grew. Um, my network grew like a lot. Actually, this one, it's been a really, it's been really positive. Um, Chris is um, Chris is like Chris kind of sees the world in networks, so he has like put me through, put me in touch with people that I, I probably wouldn't have been uh, in touch with otherwise, and really helped um, you know really helped kind of like further my connections. And I think as an entrepreneur, networks are everything. Um, you know, you need them for fundraising. You need them for um, you need them for other you know other business activities and music that kind of thing. And, and also just for support sometimes. Um, and Chris has been amazing at that. Um, and of course, like the other cool thing that happened was just like a lot of publicity, which is always good. Um, and it, you know, it's a different kind of publicity. It's not in music for a change. It's something that's more in business, which is really good for us because we're really well known in music, not just because of our name, but because of our work. But, um, you know, the business community has yet to kind of and you know embrace us in that way and i think it definitely delivered on that well maybe that's something we should talk about i'd love uh, i'd love entrepreneurs to uh build out merchandise i mean well i'm on a mission to give knowledge to people for free so a lot of people are like how do you pay for that 
Um, and so I love the idea of building a merch merchandising range and supporting the idea of giving back. It would be yeah. pretty yeah, I mean, it's it's if there's it's a great way to build a business um, because it's a physical product that you can sell, and the real key to it is not overstocking and you know I'm creating a demand. I mean, it's, it's real straightforward, but um, it uh, it really it really does you know over time it makes a huge difference. It allows people to pay for things that they wouldn't normally be able to. In the case of music, it's whole albums being recorded or tours, so it's super cool. Um, the power of what it can do if it works and and we make sure it works that's that's our job i'm i'm uh, i'm super excited i could talk to you all day i've got a million other questions i, I want to ask but um I, I i have sean now waiting in the waiting room to come on and share his story and see how we can help him so just before i bring him on kind of my my favorite question to ask uh, interesting guest you went back to your younger self and gave some advice what would it be um stop drinking sooner uh, start exercising sooner and uh, pick up some books about stoicism. Mm. That would be my best advice. I was a very angry, wild uh, human for a long time. Great answer. Probably one of my favorites so far. So thank you for that. So uh, Sean, patiently waiting. Now this is where we hopefully don't go. Can you hear us? Can you hear us? And the tech just works. Sean, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you so much for coming on and uh, very excited to hear uh, what you're up to and, um, and myself and the audience listening and Tertia will try to, to support you. So tell us straight up, what are you up to? What's, what's, uh, what's going on and how can we help you? Well, uh, I'm co-founder of an app called Roundups, which links with your bank or credit card and allows you to donate pennies as you spend to your favorite charities or, or school in some cases. So there's, there's kind of two sides to what we do. The first is the, the donation mechanism, which is kind of built and out there and people are using it. The second side of things is that we feed back on your donations in a way that perhaps people haven't seen before. So if, for example, you're supporting a local homeless shelter, typically a charity might email you with a monthly or a quarterly update. They might send you a, a postcard or something like that. What we're building is uh, an impact tracking engine that gives you feedback that's much more bite-sized and much more personal to you. So, for example, uh, if, if Tertia, you were supporting a homeless shelter and your roundups reached £4 by a Wednesday, you'd get a notification saying, thanks so much, that's provided two meals at the shelter this week. And so it's giving people these little nuggets to do with their, the charity and the cause that they support as they go to bring them closer to that charity. Mm. So we are uh, working with around 40 charities now. Um, we've got some of the bigger ones joining us as well which is really cool and we're in the middle of a, a fundraising round so I think that's kind of how I ended up funding uh, you Simon and Blue Ocean Ventures um, so our kind of ask and, and areas we need help it's uh, it's a long list I've added stop drinking to it uh, following yeah. your, your tip there can we help you with that? I don't know if we can help you with that. That's definitely <laughs> not. The stoicism can help you with that though. Yes. Um, but no, uh, yeah, so the big the big thing for us at the moment is we're, we're in the middle of a raise. Uh, we're hoping to get some term sheets completed next week, which is good, so so that's on its way. Um, but yeah, just, just interested to hear more about what you're doing with the Purposeful Project, Simon. Hmm. But what, uh, what is the um, fundraising ecosystem like at the moment? I mean, I have my view, but I'm just interested in what, what you see as someone trying to raise money right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I should caveat that this is the first time I've we've we've raised, so I don't have a lot of experience to compare to. Um, but we, a very very small percentage of people we've reached out to have come back and said we're holding or fundraising or we're following on or with commitments only at the moment. So I think the general feeling is that there's there's money out there still. People are investing, um, and perhaps it hasn't been affected as much as people might have. Have expected it to be. Um, that's probably more applicable to our stage as well, uh, because it's always, you know, being such early stage, it's always um, high risk at this point. So maybe the, the, the uh, risk appetite hasn't changed because of COVID as much. Whereas maybe later stage, there's a bit more of a, a kind of a, a protect what you have attitude going on. Mm. But for me personally, um, I don't feel like we've been massively affected by everything that's happening. Mm. It's uh, interesting. I just find it fascinating to hear from your side um, 
and understand, I guess, partly my audience. You know, what what's it like to raise money right now? What's what what ways are you raising money? What how how are you going about raising money? I mean, for us, it's a lot of direct uh, messages. So just reaching out to people who are in the space who are working impactful investing. Um, so quite direct. I mean, for me, we've obviously been aware that we're going to be raising money around this time. So I've been building up a kind of network as well over the past year or so. So it's, it's very organic in, uh, in that sense, although deliberate. So, for, I mean, for the last, I would say, 10 months, I've been building up a kind of a, a database of potential investors to go to. So, so yeah, I mean, and then, and then there's a, obviously the, the, the funds in the space as well as, uh, yeah, just, 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 Go to places so networks that will take us successfully is something we've not we've not got to that yet, but it might be that we we look at those networks. They're like equity crowdfunding type things. Uh, not so much. It, it, we might we might consider that towards the end, but I don't think so for this round. Um, I'm, I'm talking more about kind of angel investor network things like that, where there's a, a ready made syndicate of angels and and the mm. platform will take us successfully. I just uh, interviewed the founder of Cedars, uh, Jeff. I think he's on now, listening actually. Why wouldn't you use Cedars now? What, what for his research? Really, I'm helping him suddenly. But why, why wouldn't you use him? Why wouldn't you use Cedars right now? Yeah, I mean, for crowdfunding, it's it's the, the big thing that we hear a lot is that you have you need a lot of it to be committed, mm. and so that's why I, I wouldn't write it off. But for us, it's like mm. okay, let's get to seventy percent committed, and then maybe we'll close it and create a bit of a buzz with with crowdfunding. Mm. You highlighted something I've heard from other entrepreneurs. There's a big gap, Jeff, if you're listening, there's a gap here because it seems that people need help to actually raise the money. And if, if platforms like Crowdcube and Cedars are expecting you to have raised most of the money before you've even gone to their platforms, that actually tells me there's a market gap. Right? Yeah, potentially. I think from what I know of Cedars, um, and uh, considering the founders listening, maybe this is quite stupid, but from what I know, Cedars would be a, a kind of a higher quality one that you can't just get onto quite easily but in terms of the, the uh, i don't want to name names but other crowdfunding platforms that, that will take will take anybody um definitely need to have a large amount of the round committed in advance but mm. i feel like cedars is a, a bit harder to get onto mm. well for my listeners uh that are you know wanting some facts on on raising money i i, I like uh Platforms like Angel List, it's got a lot of resource on there, a lot of angels. I'm assuming, Sean, you've gone through that with a fine tooth comb, right? Yeah, well, actually, we haven't we haven't gone to the depths of that yet because it's like the kind of the network that I built up and the the, the lists that I built up personally have been bearing fruit so far. Touch wood. Um, this is your personal contacts, is it? Or is it from uh, people I've met through kind of boot camps and and been to talks and and and, and created a warm introduction from. Uh, we've also found, you know, from speaking to angels, that they've brought in connections in the space as well, which mm. is kind of a cliche thing to happen, but that's definitely happened for several angels that we've spoken to so far. Um, and you know, because we're the, the amount of money we are raising, you don't need many high net worth individuals to close it. How much are you raising? Two fifty. Okay. Cool. No, it's, it's very interesting. I think the concept, I feel like the concept is uh, brilliant, but so obviously needed. Um, and my mind kind of asks itself, does this not already exist? And, and, and if, if not, then how come or does it? And that's a good thing. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's two sides to this. Firstly, the, the roundup and donate form of donating has existed in various guises for years and years. Um, in terms of it being a standalone app, there's a few apps out there in America in particular. Uh, and so... <clears throat> that, that's one thing to consider. The other thing is that this is something the banks could do and arguably should do because that's the place where you would like to do this form of donating. Uh, that, that's kind of a separate conversation in itself. But the, the bottom line that we found is that banks you've got involved in this space haven't found a way to prioritize it as a feature in their banking apps. <clears throat> that may change in the future and we, we hope that it will. But on the other side of things, where it's been done before, what we've found time and time again with Sort of people who played in this space is they they talk a lot about how it's a very convenient and simple way to donate which it is and that's great and we know from our research and just conversations that you know you ask people if they'd be willing to do this and nine out of ten people say yeah i would but then they don't do it um and the, the reason for that is it still takes some effort to sign up and, and, and do it mm. but the, the, the angle of it being convenient and smart simply isn't enough 
you need to offer more back to to donors because people aren't searching the web for a convenient way to donate to charity it's just it's just not happening so suggesting that uh, convenience and simplicity is enough is is wrong in our view so that's where we kind of found this impact tracking piece is actually what in a sense the value that people are getting from donating through roundups mm. and do you feel like um that the market is well i mean it's interesting i'm, I'm thinking about how to help you now um and so if, first of all anyone listening that happens to have two hundred and fifty thousand pounds spare please reach out to sean in the links below um i personally i'm always very honest with entrepreneurs i really like this idea i think i think this is this is this has got purpose and, and the potential I mean, to, to be a successful, profitable business, of course. But what about just throwing it out there? What about you know raising the money from charities? Um, because of course you are servicing their you know digital needs really through this. Would it not be a good idea to approach them and, and, and see? Yeah, this was something that came up um, in conversations about seven or eight months ago. Um, we had this kind of vision of wouldn't it be amazing if the charities that we partner with all invested and they were the shareholders so any profit that comes out of the company really does stay in the third sector and we we, we broached it we, we, we got in touch with a few companies who tried to help charities operate a bit more like startups and be a bit innovative and, and look at investing in things and what we discovered very quickly from them they, they kind of shut it down because they had tried to do it and they just couldn't access investment from charities because of the risk profile and the nature of charities and you know uh, trustees and things like that. They're, they're. Having said that, there's something from Crisis called Venture Studio, where they're being very forward-thinking in this space and they're investing in impactful startups. So I definitely think that um, the third sector is is becoming more open to it. I think but, it's definitely an opportunity right now because most of the charities on the high street, for example, have no revenue now, hmm. um, and they either innovate or they die. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they might be sitting on committees with cash in the bank, but they have no cash flow, and and you could help help them with that. I think don't go through a third party. No offense to whoever you're talking about. Go direct and go now. That no, the third party wasn't wasn't where they weren't trying to broker anything or anything like that. Um, it, I mean, it's, what I'm saying is sometimes with third parties they'll say, oh, it's hard, or we've had experience. Actually, what you find, in, 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 I used to have this in my agency business. We used to go, originally when I started my company, we used to go through another company to win clients. And they would always tell us about how hard it was. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they get jaded. Yeah, right? yeah. That, yeah. You're, you're fresh and new. I would literally go to the website. I would ping every single one of the committee members. Mm. I would ping, of course, the people that run the charity day to day. And I would just go at them. Because the beautiful thing about getting the charities to invest in this, because the Achilles heel is you're making profit out of it. Right, and if you can make them part of the profit, you solve that problem. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I, I think we'd love it's to do it. Circle, and you know, um, you get three charities on board. I'll invest. Mm -hmm. Right, because I also feel better about it if I know the profits also going back to the charity. Even as investors, they might not tell you, but there's something strange about the middle ground of a you know a for-purpose business that's for profit. Yeah, and, and there shouldn't be. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, nothing at all. But unfortunately, a lot of very conservative investors that that they, they don't like it feels. Um, I've seen it on Dragon's Den, and I've got a problem with Dragon's Den anyway because they're buying companies, not investing in companies. But but that point aside, um, and by the way, I've got Nick Jenkins, who was a dragon on Dragon's Den, coming on the podcast tomorrow, and I know he's going to be talking about that. <laughs> so I'm not the only one saying it. A dragon who's been on Dragon's Den has said that. Um, but the, the the point I'm trying to make to you is that. I think you'll remove that 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 pain that uh, that twinge that any investor will have uh, around this. Just just a thought. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. Um, and and it's interesting that third party I, I'm talking about. I, they were talking about a very different time as well. Um, yeah, exactly. They were right. The world has changed, and I think in your case it will be a positive thing. Um, and the other thing I think about, I mean, again, just throwing it out there um, to see if it's useful. But um, on a previous podcast show, I interviewed the founder of Manise Bank. Um, and I, I have a good relationship with him, super smart, super purpose driven. Mm -hmm. uh, the danger is if you talk to him, um, no, maybe he'll do it himself. Um, but equally, my instinct would be that they'd rather just work with you to do it. And he's got that stuck down his sofa by mistake. Um, yeah. And if you get a bank on board, they can help you with all the legal stuff long term and all that. Um, plus, they've got you know 2.5 million customers in the UK already. 
which is an interesting to reverse engineer that, right? Yeah, um, so should I introduce you to those guys? Will that help? Yeah, by all means. I'm, I'm very happy. You know, this isn't, um, as I said, we're not, we're not really, we're not even first to market. You know, the bank's trying to do this is fine. We're, we're trying to deliver a service that goes above and beyond that anything anybody's seen. So very happy talking to banks. Okay, so, so make sure you send me an up-to-date deck and then I'll forward it to, to them. Uh, and But I'm, I'm only asking you because the, there is a risk that they read it and do it. There is a risk they're already doing it. Which bank was it, sorry? Monice, Monice Bank. Are you can't be scared of people stealing your idea. The odds are they, they can't, if you've already got it, they'll just come buy it from you. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I literally think I do a post a day saying that. I completely agree. <laughs> Tersha, I completely agree. Tersha, do you want to jump in actually? And do you have any views on this? Any thoughts? Uh, yeah, actually, I did have a couple of questions. Like, how far are you guys along with like the technology? Have you got people using it? Have you got yeah. it in? So that's yeah. like that's like an amazing thing to have. I think when we build our platform and our mobile app, the thing that really got our first like angel investors over the line um, was actually being able to in like engage with the technology. Um, and then it was built, uh, you know, we kind of like did prototypes to begin with as like an for our first angel round. But um, when it was built and finished and um, the satisfaction of anyone that had invested in us and actually being able to use it and do it was was epic and kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. brought more people, you know, on our side for it. So it's, I think it's, it's just a really powerful tool and especially powerful, um, you know, especially powerful. You can send it to someone online now um while they're all sat at home like people have more time to sit and stare at their phones yeah no it's a it's a good point and um i think one of the things that we are looking forward to doing is showing them the you know iterations because it, we that it, since we've been going for investment we've had a web app um, our native app gets released next week and so being able to give people those updates is definitely um definitely helpful to the process and closing those deals what but else are you struggling with <laughs> Go ahead, yeah, tell us. Well, what well, I was going to say, actually, you don't need to have 250K if you're listening. You can just sign up uh, and, and donate pennies as you spend at roundups.org. So that's a, a way. That, that, was my other, that was my other thought on this. Um, uh, so, of course, one side the charities, the other side, you know, a, a bank partner. Uh, and then in the middle, why not leverage your users to round up and invest in the business? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's some logistical challenges there, but nothing to overcome. Uh, I, I mean, you're getting into kind of crowdfunding territory here. Why not? You've got a crowdfunding system potentially there internally. Yeah. But it's well, your own good. crowd as well. They're already on your side. Um, if there's people using it and people signing up for it, they're 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 already loving what you're doing. They already believe in it. So why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they go over? I think you could probably look at any of the really successful crowdfunded campaigns and kind of see that's kind of what they did and um, they just did it through a platform yeah you could do it through your own that would be a great pr story too by the way so if you you know i can you can release the pr before you finish the the uh the raise and that will ironically feed the users to go onto the platform to increase the raise you know yeah yeah perfect it's self-fulfilling you know yeah, yeah yeah no that's that's interesting because we have we have thought about it before because we are a social enterprise and have all the kind of documentation to back it up and, and articles of association and whatnot. Um, so we have thought about giving users the opportunity to support what we do in addition to the charities. So, um, so yeah, we'll bear that in mind. So getting comments like, and uh, bear in mind, this is sometimes the internet, so I'm not sure, but um, our charity might look at it, question mark. Are you asking us a question or are you telling us a fact? Uh, Maybe I can uh, explain how a bit more how it works for charities. Yes, please. Uh, well, it's free to set up. We just you just need to fill out two simple forms, which kind of tells the it's a, it's a blurb about the charity and some some multimedia if you have it. Um, there's no monthly fees or anything like that. We disperse funds to you on the seventh of each month, and there's a five percent transaction cost, which covers Stripe's processing fees. And for the moment, with the volumes we're at, the vast majority of that goes straight out to Stripe, um, and then those that, that will come down over time. But it's very, very simple to set up. So head over to roundups.org and yeah, reach out to us. We'll be very happy to, to talk to you about it. So what's the plan once you raise the money? Well, uh, the, the big, there's two sides of things really. Um, we work on one side with charities and effectively because of our model, our margins are very small. We don't see ourselves as somebody going out to find users and find donors. We see this as a tool that charities have to push out. 
So for in order for charities to do that, they need to know that it's going to be a worthwhile investment. So a lot of our immediate actions over the next six months are building out case studies with charities, showing that if they spend, for every pound they spend on Facebook ads, say, they're going to see a 10x return or something like that. Because in fundraising, the benchmark return on investment is around 5 to 7x. So we, the way we've worked backwards and said, okay, well, we need to prove to them that by promoting roundups, they'll get at least a 7x return. And if we can demonstrate that empirically, then it makes sense for them to, to, to promote it themselves. And then it becomes a tool that they use just like GoFundMe, just giving everything else. So that's kind of the immediate and there's obviously resources that go into that. Um, on the other side of the business, we help schools with fundraising. So the example here is you're a, a primary school and you want to raise money to refurbish the playground. So traditionally, you'll, you'll, the PTA will run a bunch of cake sales and raffles and things like that throughout the year to raise money. We say to them, in addition to that, why not ask the parents to donate pennies throughout the course of the year and it will bring in an extra five, six, 10, 15 grand. And with schools, we basically set that up a bit like a crowdfunder as well. So there's a, pro, there's a target and there's a progress bar and we'll serve them nice content throughout the year. So, for example, the school that we're piloting with are raising money for a music room, and we've got some nice engagement pieces lined up, so when they reach 10%, the school band have a video that they're going to push out on the app that they can watch to celebrate and say thank you. So, crowdfunding for schools over the course of the year via penny donations. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of kind of account management and sales to do there on that, on that side of the business. It's so awesome, Sean. So awesome. You're getting so much love on TikTok right now. People just loving, loving what you're trying to do. I, I'm interested in, you know, how did you get into this? What's your motivation for doing, doing all of this? Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit in me. Um, I started a small business when I was 21. Took a job at an ad agency at the same time, uh, and I, I guess I kind of always had this idea of myself that I wanted to do something in impact. But it was like, well, I'll have a successful career or build a successful business and then when I'm older I'll retire young and then go and work for a charity and you know build churches or something like that and I just realized that that was the wrong way to look at it I've always had a kind of awareness that you know how short life is and why why wait till then to do something that you're passionate about so yeah it just it, it's, it's very uh, it's very cheesy but it was a case of saying okay well this is what I want my life to be about it's this you know having, having a Leaving it, leaving a mark that actually matters. Totally works, and uh, I wish I was aware as aware as you are. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're young. I mean, I actually don't know how old are you, Sean? Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Yeah, you, you you look a bit younger than that. Twenty-eight's not that young, I guess. But you you sound very wise. If I was just listening to your voice, I'd be like, oh, that guy's in his fifties. He, he, he knows <laughs> old soul, definitely. Um, well, look, I mean, apart from fundraising, which is always top of mind, I mean, personally, I love to build businesses via revenue. Um, and I can say I've invested in 68 startups, right? So I think I can be a little bit critical of the investment community. Sometimes it's like getting a boss, getting an investor. So it's not always the best thing to do. Um, but I do understand the process. Outside of that, um, there's two things I want to say. One, I want to know what else you need. And in case I forget to say it, um, I've launched a new channel on Clubhouse. Do you know Clubhouse? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, everyone seems to know it now. Good. I felt like I was explaining it forever for the few months ago, but now everyone seems to know it, which is good. But I, I have a channel that we do uh, with a group of other very successful entrepreneurs, um, some of them far more successful than me. Uh, we have started something called Startup Radio. And from 8 in the morning to, uh, no, from 7 in the morning, I should know this because I'm on the 7 in the morning shift. From 7 in the morning until 8 p.m. all day long, uh, we're on Clubhouse helping people like you. Uh, Sean. So um, if you want to come on there, if you're on the app, um, then come on there. And, and not only is a loads of really fascinating people listening in, the entrepreneurs on there um, are just mind blowing. Um, and maybe they can also help you. So, so yeah. feel free to come on. And if you, uh, when you come into the audience, you, you raise your hand and tag me, I'll make sure I'll bring you on stage there and give you some extra exposure on that platform. Okay. Uh, but apart, apart from, you know, marketing and a bit of brainstorming around fundraising, is there anything else that, that we can do to help you at this stage? Nothing comes to mind. Um, there's a very long list, but they're all kind of nitty gritty um, sort of thing that, that we need to get on with internally. But um, I mean, j just being here and being able to share, share the story is, is great. Um, practice talking about it and maybe we'll be able to 
win a pitch competition like like Tertia. You just want to win the money. <laughs> you, you just want to make a pitch so good that you uh, get investors on your side. I think that's 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 all clients. Um, that's that's its function. You don't you don't need to win a competition for it. It just needs to serve right. its purpose. But you know, um, it's it's an art. Learn it. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, I, I uh, I've been going to Toastmasters for a couple of years, which is always. Good. I don't know if you know about Toastmasters. Um, I found Toastmasters. I lived in Hong Kong for a while, and I said, oh, "We should go to Toastmasters." And people were like, "You have to go on a special course to make toast." I'm like, "No, no, no. It's a, it's a speaking thing, you know." To be able to explain it, we but, love that uh, in England, but not that much. No, but uh, no. So, to be honest with you, I, I think that, that those two things. We're trying to be, you know, there's so many directions we can go in. We've had some unusual offers this week in particular, actually, which I think coincided with us signing a, a big charity. Um, and you can be pulled in so many directions. Uh, and I think for us, we're trying to really focus on on building value for charities and, and people using the app um, and the things that directly help us do that. So, um, yeah, that, that's what we're focused on. So I, I, I don't want to kind of ask for help in another area, even though it's tempting. I think, yeah, as long as you've got your heart like firmly set and your mind firmly set on what your mission is, I think you, you'll be you'll be fine. I think it's really, it gets a bit messy if you start, other people start pulling you in directions that you want to go. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to be brave enough to, to know the difference of what's good and what's their idea and what's your idea and yeah, what you and want I, to do. And I think that kind of thing has come up with investor conversations as well. And I'm, you know, I'm quite proud, really, of myself and Matt, my co-founder, for us saying, no, do you know what? Or looking at some, you know, things that competitors are doing, things like that. And you think, no, we're, we're, doing it, we're doing something different. We believe this is the right route for us, um, and so we're going to stick to it. So, so far, yeah. we've been pretty good with that, I think. It's good. It's gets, it gets harder as you go. I think that's one thing. Um, I think in our first in our first part in our first time doing things, we listen to a lot of other people, and uh, what we learned is that actually no one really understands what we're doing. <laughs> no, no one saw the bigger picture. The music industry loves to stay in where it is, and I'm sure charities the same. They they don't like change. Change um, change upsets how they know they can make money. So, well, that's interesting. You say that. I think is that this is a whole probably podcast series on its own. But you know when to listen to feedback. And, and take it and, and action it and when to just you know ignore the feedback because I think there is also a tendency uh, you know to to when you listen to someone to feel oh that that makes sense and then feel like you should change your whole life to accommodate what you've just heard right but um, I think there is something like for example even with what I'm doing I mean every single day when someone asks me what I'm doing and I say I'm helping people for free they're like well that's ridiculous you should be making money out of people and like, you give them something for free they don't value it I'm like, well, I think you've never given value in whatever you've given. If it, it doesn't matter if you charge, I paid for something and had no value from it. You know, charging for it doesn't mean it has value, right? Also, giving stuff away brings stuff back. I think the one thing that made the biggest difference um, to to my kind of to our trajectory as a business was helping other people, yeah. uh, helping them with advice when they needed it, even if they weren't an artist we'd work with. Um, helping with silly little things if we could, and we still do that to this day, and it, it comes back in bucket loads in places you don't expect. Um, you just can't be greedy, I guess. You can't like expect reward, instant rewards. Yeah, well, my, my favorite saying when people are negative about um, um, free is that, you know, uh, free definitely has value and, and anyone that, uh, that doesn't have money and you give them something for free is the most valuable thing you can do for them. So I think a lot of the time, you know, I'm gonna say the elitist group out there maybe they want to charge but they don't understand that if you help those people like you're saying uh tersha i sleep better at night because i help people it's not a price thing um it's because you're doing what you can thing right and it'll come back it always comes back someone re they, everyone always repays the favors maybe not them directly but someone else will come along and repay it and, on their behalf yeah that's true i mean it's the whole thing if, if you want to make a thousand pounds give a thousand pounds yeah so uh, yeah well look guys it's been an absolute pleasure to have you both on you're an inspiration both of you and i uh, appreciate your time and um yeah thanks so much for coming on and telling your stories and and sharing your knowledge thanks for having me all right nice to see you guys see you that's it folks that's our podcast for today i hope you got some value out of it you learned some things feel inspired if you did get anything from today's broadcast do me a favor um, help Sean out, 
promote his clip on this broadcast today. Let people know that he's raising money. Share his story so people download his app. Please, please, please. Equally, uh, if you think that uh, Tertius Business could bring value to you as a musician, as an artist, then go check it out. I love their mission and trying to help uh, artists, especially right now. So many artists have had gigs cancelled and life's disrupted. I think I think her business is so vital to communities like the music community right now. So please, uh, Eva, go and you know leverage that platform for yourself or share it with a friend that might be able to leverage it. I would really appreciate it because those guys come on, give their time up to share their stories. And I really would uh, take it as a personal favor if you went and just at least gave a like on their social medias. It really costs you nothing. That's definitely one thing you can do for all small businesses right now. It doesn't cost you anything just to go on their social media, give a like, and maybe say a comment like, love this or share it with your friends. It costs you nothing and would mean the world to them. So I hope you found today's broadcast useful. Let me know if you have any questions about business in the comments. We always reply to comments. If you want any information that we don't already provide within our toolkit, let me know. We'll be back on air tomorrow at 12.30. You know what? I keep saying tomorrow because we used to be today's Wednesday. So we'll be back on Friday and not tomorrow, Friday at 12.30 with Nick Jenkins. And he'll be sharing his insights. Again, we'll have a live Q&A so you guys can listen to Nick's insights and ask questions at the same time of myself and Nick. So we'll see you on Friday, if not before. Thanks very much. See you.